Welcome to this episode of the Women in Technology Spotlight. Today I have with me Lara Vafiades. She is a sales, sales specialist for Azure VMware Solutions at VMware. Welcome, Lara. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to talk to you today. Um, please tell me a little bit about yourself to start us off. Okay, um, so I'm uh, based in Cheltenham in Gloucestershire in the UK. Um, so literally this little town in the middle of what's called the Cotswolds. Um, a little bit about me, I guess um, I'm very uh, outdoorsy. So I spend a lot of my time, if I'm not on my desk, um, I'm either running or hiking or cycling. I actually took a day off on Friday to go for a really nice cycle ride. I had to drive about three hours to actually get there, but it was all worth it because I love going cycling. Um, so I do a lot um, around, around that. I have a very large family. I grew up on a farm. Um, so that's probably the reason why I'm very out, outdoorsy. I think I'm very wild. Mm -hmm. I like the, the wilderness. I like kind of going and doing kind of lots of different things and lots of different adventures. Um, come from a Greek family. So I've got this kind of really lovely bit of family that we, it's always very family orientated. Um, but obviously I'm very English as you can, as you can hear. Um, I went to boarding school. So I kind of, I was from a very young age, I was away from my family, but it was a really good thing. because I think it kind of gets you um kind of growing up very very quickly so it was all kind of part of my um growing up thing being at boarding school from eight until 16 so mm -hmm. it's a very young age to, to be away from your from your family but it was really good because I mean I got lots of kind of different experiences um mm -hmm. I, I used to go skiing with my school and all the different things there was a farm on my school completely crazy like it was a really unusual thing I think I have conversations with with people and they're like um how did you have a farm I was like we used to wake up at 5 a.m when I was about eight or nine before our schoolwork. And then we used to go and feed like the chickens and the pigs and the horses and go and take horses for us. It was a very, um, yeah, it was a very different upbringing, I think from, from most. Um, I have a very uh, lovely set of parents who still, still live on our family, a family farm full of like dogs and chickens. And like I say, if I go back there, it's complete, complete chaos, um, but it's very good fun. Um, and that's basically me, I guess, in a, in a nutshell. Such an interesting background. Um, you say your family is Greek and your parents have a farm in England. Yes, <laughs> yes. So my well, my my father is Greek. So um, he's only half Greek. So his 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 dad was Greek, and then um, his his mum was kind of English and German and lots of different other things. We were very. If you look at our lineage, mm -hmm. it's it. We have such a mixed up kind of group. Of, Group, group of people I think it just makes us very very rounded people we have a really kind of different set of um heritage but no so my my mum and my dad live on this um wonderful farm in Worcestershire in the U UK so they are constantly out and about and doing lots of things um and where they live is actually a place in called the Morven Hills and it's basically renowned for like the most beautiful hill walking and scenery and so it is beautiful so I do try and go back there as much as I, I actually can just because I love being back there and just to walk around the farm and be out in the out the outdoors when it was actually locked down I stayed with them for like five months so I was really happy I think lots of people and lots of my friends who live in London and uh you know all, all the big big cities they might not have had anywhere to go outside very much so I actually felt a little bit spoil I think when we were kind of in lockdown and we couldn't really go anywhere but then I could go out and I could go on like a lovely walk around the farm and just be out in the kind of green and the in the countryside I don't think I would have 
And I think I would have fared very well if I was in the city and I couldn't get out into the actual countryside. So that was a real, real lovely benefit, I think, actually, during yeah, I totally lockdown. Feel that because um, I live in the middle of Vienna and, and mm. I totally felt locked in during mm. Even though, you know, theoretically you could take your car somewhere and go out, but, you know, you always had this feeling you should be staying at home and just walk around the block. And after a while, you had seen every single step. Oh, exactly. Like you can only, there's only so many places you can, you can see and so many places that you can kind of walk, walk around. So, yeah, I had friends that literally lived in the center of London mm -hmm. and they were like, oh, it's terrible. Like they couldn't, even that, I think you could go within, within a certain kind of area or distance to go and exercise. But then they were seeing me and I was sending them pictures of me like in on the farm on a tractor or something. And they were like, oh, no, you're really lucky. And I did. I felt if I didn't have that because I'm so used because of my background and things, I'm so used to being outside, being locked in like that was like the worst thing for me. So yeah, it was just yeah. it was so, so good. So um, when you were a kid, you didn't have that much time to spend on your parents' farm since you grew up in that boarding school, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's also quite interesting. I think growing up on the, uh, in a boarding school or going to a boarding school at such a mm -hmm. young age must have made you very self-reliant very early, right? Yeah, I think so. I um, My actual family, so I have three other siblings. So mm -hmm. just being within a, a, like a house of like three other children, so there was four of us, obviously makes it, you kind of have to be able to stand up for yourself. I'm number three. And I'm sure my other, I was probably the bossiest of all of the, of kind of all of us, apart from my older sister, obviously, because she wins everything. Um, but I think, yeah, from when I was younger, I actually really, I loved it. So even from a really young age, like I could go and do like cooking when I was nine. So I could kind of, I could, I could make things. I could kind of, I was really happy. And I think there's, um, there's a hilarious story. This is even before I was at boarding school. I've always been very um able to go and talk to anyone and I think my mother she was on holiday or my parents were on holiday with with me and you know you know the thing if you if, you, if you've got children and you look down and you're reading your book and then you look up and they've gone and we were on a beach and my mum tells a story to everyone that she actually meets and she said like I was reading, reading my book and then I looked up and my two or three year old little girl had just disappeared so she was looking in the sea she was looking behind she was running up and down the beach and she couldn't find me anywhere and then she stopped a man and went, oh, I've just seen a little girl sat at the bar. And she was just talking to someone. So she kind of went, what? So she found me and I was, I think I was about, yeah, two and a half or three, sat at the bar chatting to the barman when I was like three, obviously completely unaware that I'd been sending my mother crazy. But I think that's it. I've always really liked talking to all these different people and kind of having these um, connections and relationships with everyone all over the world. So even from then, yeah, I was obviously out doing things I really shouldn't shouldn't have been doing. Sending my parents crazy, obviously, but yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering, um, you grew up, your parents had a farm, you grew up in a boarding school that had a farm, mm. and now you're in IT. What happened? Mm. I know. It's really strange when I, when I, when I th think about it. I think from when I was younger, I was like riding horses and doing all, doing all these things. But from that like, kind of group, so I obviously, I went I went to school, I, I loved school, but I was very much on the sporty side of school. So sport and art, um, I'm sure my teachers now, if, if they saw me would say I had great potential, but I was more focused on my sport and my art. Um, so I loved it. So I didn't actually go to university. I decided that when I did my GCSEs and my A-levels um, within the, the UK, I did like history and art and things. I thought actually, I'd probably go to university and I'd do, I'd do fine arts, 
it's not something that I didn't think was really going to help me. I think I would have had a lovely time um, and loved being at university and kind of meeting all these different different people. But I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, so I actually decided to go and get my yacht master. So this is a um, an RYA qualification, and it's almost what I class as my degree because it, it was obviously so much um, kind of learning that I had to put into what I'd sailed from a very young young age. And I thought, actually, if I do something that gives me skills that I can go and get a job for and that's going to have me for the kind of the rest of my life and I'm going to be sailing and doing all these amazing things, that's what I did. So I basically um, went off at a really young age. I was like 19 or 20 and um, went and got my yacht skipper's license. So this is a lot of different um, tests and exams you have to do. There's lots of miles that you have to do. I've sailed across the Atlantic on numerous times and all these things that are kind of really um important for kind of kind of being a being a sailor so i was skippering yachts at 21 so for a really young i think when a young girl and if you think of a yacht skipper everyone's got this image of like an old man with a beard exactly that's what people think of so it's um i think it was quite funny when people met met me they were like you're really young (laughs) should be should should you be in charge of, of of my boat kind of thing so that's that's what i did and i loved it i did it for quite quite a few years in the caribbean and the Mediterranean, um, a little bit on the south coast of the, the UK as well. Um, but then I came came back and I went into just kind of some just some kind of sales jobs for a few for a few years. And then I had a friend that used to work at Cisco. So he said, oh, actually, you're really you're really personable. You're really, really good. Like you, you like learning about things. And it's true. So my dad works in tech. My family work in, in tech. They have a whole different business attached from the farm. And he just thought, actually, probably this could be a really, really good move for you if, if you enjoy learning about all these things. So I did. Um, so I went off, off and worked. I was just like an account manager at Cisco. And I loved it. I loved all the learning. And it was all the things that you like, all the cool kind of te- technology side of it. I didn't think I'd be that into it. But I become a bit of like, a, I call myself like a, like a closet geek because I love learning about all these new new things. But when people meet me, they're like, I'm sure she doesn't, you know, but it's true. I love like everything. I've got all my alerts set up, all the news things that I want to read about and all the different kind of technology, like news articles that kind of come up. So I did that. So I've kind of, it's been a really roundabout way that I've come into tech and I came in probably quite late in my career. So I started when I was 27, I think at Cisco. So three and a half years later, or four, four years later, I'm kind of, I'm in VMware now. So it was a roundabout. <laughs> yeah, that, that's such an interesting um, journey, actually. But it shows very, very well that what you need is a personal character, communication skills, and the will to learn new stuff. And that's such a great illustration of what I've been saying for a long time, that it's not necessary that you have to been in tech for since you were three or four years old. Mm. But you have to have this will to, to you know, learn new stuff and, and also mm be approachable, talk to people. And communication, Mm. in my opinion, is one of the most important skills in tech at the moment. So, yeah. It's true. I think it's really true. I think it's kind of knowing that you have to listen to your customers and what they're saying kind of, and just kind of take everything on board. You don't have to be the most um, up-to-date person on all of the tech things that that are kind of going on just because I want to learn everything. But it's just being able to kind of talk to anybody, talk to any level of kind of person within any, any kind of organization is a really important skill. So yeah, I'm not, I don't have, I think when I talk to people and I do a lot of um, uh, uh, like, it's like, it's, it's kind of virtual work experience with a company in the UK. So we did loads, we did lots of different kind of girls schools 
and everyone I spoke to, all, all these kind of young girls, and they were 14 to 16, I think I think it was. And we were doing this over the past few months during the um, last school year. And I said, it's really important for you guys to understand because I don't, I didn't, co- I didn't come into it. And actually when I left school, I didn't go, I'm gonna go and work, work in tech. I didn't know what I wanted to do. <laughs> like it was a really, the fact that I've now made, kind of made my way here, I like the fact that I've had this kind of very slightly convoluted journey, but it has made me someone that's probably quite rounded in all the different life experience things I have. So the fact that someone doesn't want to go to university when they're 16, they could go off and do anything else. Like it's all kind of, it's all, it's all learning. It's all really important for just growing up and being that kind of very well-rounded person. So I'm, yeah, I'm happy that I've got here eventually. I think this is just a good example of what David Epstein calls range and Mm. that's actually very important to understand that it's more that um, having different uh, backgrounds and bringing them together can make you much more successful than just you know rushing to one goal straight away. Mm. No it's true. Yeah Mm. so I'm thinking so um, you mentioned initially that you're a very outdoorsy person, you have a young mm. master, you like to ride your bike, and I, I uh, know that you haven't given up on all that sporty things, and you're currently working on this really amazing initiative. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I can. So next year, so 2022, I'm taking part in the Talisca Whiskey Atlantic Challenge. So this is deemed as the world's toughest rowing race. So the race in itself is 3,000 miles from Lagomera in the Canary Islands. <laughs> You're just shaking your head. I love it. <laughs> and then to Antigua in the Caribbean. So it's a wonderful place to finish. I'm very excited. Um, but so the main thing is I will be doing this solo. So this is a race that's been going across for maybe six or seven years as an official race. People have been probably been doing this for about 20 years, um, but actually all through that, there's actually more people that have climbed Everest than ever, ever actually rode across the, the Atlantic Ocean, specifically solo. So because I'm doing it solo, there's a very small amount of women that have ever done it. So I'll be one of about 20 or 21 women to ever complete the challenge. So it was a very select group, probably slightly crazy because you do have to be crazy to put yourself in this kind of position, <laughs> um, being alone. So the, the amount it'll take me is obviously 3,000 3, miles, I'm hoping to do it in about 45 to 50 days. So this is 45 to 50 days of almost constant rowing. So this is um, 18 hours a day interdispersed with maybe two hours sleeping. I'll then, I'll then get a kind of a break just to kind of eat and generally keep myself clean, keep the boat boat clean. Um, but it'll be, yeah, it's constant. And it's a really, uh, a wild kind of environment to put put like myself in alone. I've obviously, like I said before, I've done a lot of sailing. So I've sailed across the Atlantic, but I'm sailing across on 45, 50 foot yachts where I've got a lovely bed and a shower and a cooker and all and all these things. But in my boat, it's very much it's about 19 foot long. I have one cabin that I can kind of sleep in. Um, I'm five foot eight. I can just about stretch out, but I can't really. And I'll have a, the other cabin at the end. I will carry all of my food, all of my water. It's completely unsupported. So there's no one that's going to come and give me anything else. And not they won't kind of come and give me more food or more water. It's basically once I leave Lagomera, <laughs> that's, that's it. So I have to then, on my own, then obviously guide this rowing boat to Antigua. I have questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> 
Okay. When you initially said you were you you were rowing alone, I was imagining some some someone close by, you mm. know, looking after you because uh, it sounds really scary. I mean, really. Um, what what happens if if um, you run out of water or you have an accident? What happens? So um, the water thing, I actually have on my boat what's called a water maker. So it's like a desalinator. So then I take on um, sea, sea water. It literally then creates me drinkable water that I, I can then drink. Um, I have emergency water that I then carry in the in kind of the, the ballast of my uh, boat. Um, but if I have an accident or if I have any problems, so I can either, I kind of have to make the decision that if I'm able to carry on, then I will just carry on. And if there's a problem that I can fix with the boat, then I will have all of the, all of the tools on board. I'll have extra kits of everything that I think might break. Something with me, like if I hurt myself, again, I kind of have to make the decision, do I carry on or do I not? If anyone, so like a lot of my friends will, will say, so I, I do these kind of silly things sometimes where I like to put myself in positions where I don't give up. I have no give up button. Like it's a really odd thing. And I think when I talk about, talk to people, they're like, do you not just stop? And I was like, I can't stop. Like once I set myself a goal, especially this, I would have to be in a very, very sorry state to not, to not carry on. Mm -hmm. um, even if it's like a, even if it's pain, I was told actually, um, is it, um, is it discomfort or is it distress? So this is the thing that I think about every day. Like if I'm, if I'm just uncomfortable, I can be, you can be uncomfortable for a very long time. Yeah. Like it's fine. You can be like, you can be sat in an awkward position. If you're actually in distress, that's a completely different um, kind of feeling. And it's a really different way of thinking as well. So if I can be uncomfortable for 45 days to 50 days, that's fine in my mind. Um, but yeah, it's all, all these little kind of little things that I kind of have to mentally prepare for because obviously I, so I, I live alone in Cheltenham. So I'm used to kind of being alone apart from being a lockdown for my, with my family, but I, I kind of moved alone. So that the alone bit is not the thing that's kind of probably going to get me because I like, I like my own company. I'm quite happy. I can kind of have podcasts on and music and all these things, but just being out in the ocean, I know I'm going to love it because you literally get surrounded by wildlife. So you get dolphins, whales, like you get birds flying and you'll have a bird land on your boat. And it's just, it's, it's wonderful. It's a really amazing environment to actually be in. Um, but it is, it's kind of, it's a really strange feeling. So it's that mental preparation that I've almost put more effort into at the moment than my actual training. I train anyway, like I train, I go to the gym, I cycle, I row, all of these things. But it's a really important aspect of it is knowing that I'm mentally prepared for it as much as I can be anyway. I, you already touched on, on training. How do you train for 45 days of growing? I mean, it's <laughs> a very specific strain on the body, on your hands, on, on, mm. on your shoulders, on your back. So how, how do you train for that? So the main thing at the moment, so I'm, um, I'm doing this race ne next year. So I'm about 13 months out mm -hmm. from either having my, having my boat shipped off to the Canary Islands. So I will, ne uh, as of next year, so as of February, March next year, um, I will then be actually in my ocean rowing boat and I can row around the British coastline and everything. But the training aspect is really to do with injury pre prevention, which I'm a terrible one for. Um, like I say, I like to push myself until I break. So this is the only way my head, my head kind of works, but it's all to do with keeping yourself at a level of fitness that you can just carry on. So it's either doing something for a very, so you can either sit on a, a rowing machine or an erg for 
four to eight, eight hours just in my house. So I have a rowing machine in my house. I go for very long cycle rides. And it's all these things that kind of just, you need to get into a mindset of just being able to do something for a very long time. Um, strangely, I think you could probably, if you, even if you haven't done much rowing preparation, you'd probably break yourself, but the human body is incredible and it just adapts. But it's kind of getting into a position where you know that your body is strong enough in a sense that you're not going to get all these injuries that might then hinder you. Um, my my goal is actually to try and break the current world record for it. So I need to ensure that I'm really, really, really hot on my, just generally knowing that my body can kind of cope with it. Because you do, I think you're right, your hands get completely ruined. Um, your hair, so I've got very long hair, it's very much a case of my hair will just go up in a bun and then not move. But, mm -hmm however long um obviously the sun you've got the sun constantly be beating down on you so it's all of these things and you will probably i'll end up in antigua looking very tanned but very bedraggled and probably slightly bruised and everything so but it is it's kind of all the it's kind of part of it it's kind of being out into a situation where you haven't got like i won't have my phone i won't have netflix i won't have all of these things that i think people have kind of got used to you're completely at you're completely alone in this really really wild environment and it's that's what's actually really attractive for me i think even now with all the preparation i have to do all the sponsorship i have to gain i almost want the road to come quicker because i'm excited about being in that really different environment but then i know how much work i have to do so i tell myself off immediately going no no don't um you already talked about this a little bit about uh, the fact that you will need to prepare yourself much more mentally than physically <laughs> And I wonder if the fact that you're doing this for charity helps mm. with the mindset. Um, can you talk a bit about the charity aspect? That mm, it, yeah, no, so it does, absolutely. I think so the, so the two charities, I have two charities that I'm raising, raising money for. Um, one is called Plan UK, which is part of Plan International. Plan International is like a global children's rights charity. So this is, ah, there we go. So it's a really, it's a very big charity, yeah. Um, so I'm helping or kind of raising money for the U the UK part of it. Obviously, it goes to pretty much all, all of it anyway. Um, then the second charity is called Our Only World. So Our Only World is a um, is a small uh, UK charity focused on the fight against marine plastic pollution, which again is a really hot topic at the moment. I think with everything going on and the fact that we've we've obviously had this like 2021 is a massive year for kind of climate change policies and everything to do with that. So it's a really really hot thing. At, at the moment so it's um that's great they actually focus on um reducing the amount of single-use plastic in the world so they have these incredible little um like water fountains obviously around around the beaches rather than taking lots and lots of water bottles they then set up these water fountains um across the cornish coastline and you can go and fill up your your water with fresh fresh water so it's a really simple thing but it's really really helped the fact that you don't get all of this pollution and then it's kind of doing beach cleanups so it's amazing when you walk along the um british coastline even when you're out in the ocean around it the amount of plastic that's just floating around in the water it's kind of it's it's almost upsetting when you see when you see it all and you've got all the kind of fishing nets you've got plastic bottles just the odd things that you that you tend to find so they focus on that which is a really important point just for me being a sailor and being a very much kind of environmentalist out, outdoorsy person so I think having those two charities not just supporting me but knowing that I'm raising awareness for them raising funds for them it is a, it is a push I think it kind of helps me in a sense that I'm not just doing this for my own gratification because I'm not it's like I'm 
I'm doing it to ensure that I'm helping these two incredible charities, raising funds for them and kind of raising awareness for them. I don't think anyone would have heard of our only world just just from kind of like not it being on my kind of Instagram and I'm posting about it on all of my social media as well. So it's it is it helps it's like a little kind of incentive to me knowing that I'm helping other people um, as well. So, yeah, you're right. So such an amazing thing to do. I, I can't imagine rowing across the ocean alone for four to five days, but I feel, I can feel that you are the right person to do so. I mean, you have this self-reliance and, and you have this, this drive to do something outstanding, I feel. So I am very sure you will actually break the world record. Just to put I hope so. It's one of those things I, cause like, I have to tell myself and I'm very like, I, I, and I've heard this from, from my dad before. And he's like, even just doing it is impressive, but because of my, the way my brain works, if I don't break the record, I know a part of me in my brain will be like, oh, I'm going to have to go and do it again. Gen like genuinely, I'm, I will, I, I will have to do it. It's like, it's like when I do something, if I, if I do like a, a run or a race or a cycle, if I don't get the time that I want to do it in, my it's like no sorry you have to go and do that again once you've done it you can you can then stop so I know there's a part of me that's going to go I'm going to have to go back if I don't break it it's just it's one of those things that's now just ingrained in my in my head I think I love that and um I'm thinking so so uh if you were to give recommendations to young women heading out on a journey on an adventure on on a career journey what mm. would you tell them I mean you're such a go-getter as a person but but what is it that makes it easy for you to to actually go out and, and do whatever you like and, and what you want to do so I think I think I was um I probably have to give a little bit of credit to my credit to my parents because I was very much we we were almost told when from a very young age we don't have to go and do anything specifically just do what you really love to do because i think if you push people in a certain direction they might get there but they won't be internally very it won't give them as much joy as i did when i go sailing yeah. so when my obviously with my with my dad being such a he, he's a very big very big sailor and my mum very much she will just go and do anything that she's kind of if it's something she really wants to do i have that i think i just i just have that in me i think to kind of go right, I want to go and do this. And I have very supportive parents that, that will obviously support me in, mm-hmm. in that kind of um, mindset, I think. So I think when I think about being, I don't know, 14, 15, 16, and kind of going, actually, I could have done things, like I, one, I wouldn't have done anything dif- differently at all. But also, I was just really happy that I stuck with this do what you love mantra, which I think is, I think it can get lost sometimes. I think there's so much pressure um, especially around children to kind of figure out or young yeah young girls and young young ads young adults to really figure out what they really want to do when really there's no there shouldn't be that kind of innate amount of pressure um I didn't have it thankfully and I think that's what's made me this kind of I've done a lot of things I've had a lot of life life experience yeah. and it's meant that I think I'm just very I'm obviously I'm confident in myself but I'm also confident in what I think I can achieve so I don't have anything that makes me go, I can't do that. I'm very much a, I can do that. But again, I think it's kind of from having those kind of supportive parents when I was younger to kind of push me in that way to kind of go, no, you can just do whatever you want. So I think, I think that's what it is. It's, it's, finding, it's finding something you're passionate about, even if it's, if you really love art, absolutely go and just do art. Like there's nothing that's gonna stop you. You don't need to, 
obviously we, we all need lawyers and doctors and things but obviously people will find a passion in that people have passions in all of these different things so don't feel like there's a pressure that they have to go and do something they think they have to have to do so that's that that would be my kind of i know top tip i think it's actually perfect i mean it, it's it, it encompasses so many things that i also believe that you should try as many things as possible mm. because only when you try them you can actually find out if it's something that suits you that's mm. the one thing and the other thing is your parents are obviously amazing role models and you are a role model i'm sure to to other women to just to show that it makes sense to find something you're passionate about and, and try mm. until you land on something that works for you so it's thank true. you actually coming here and telling us this amazing story and your background <laughs> it was wonderful chatting with you thank you so much no bless you it was been really really lovely i think i can um i can talk about the rowing for ages but <laughs> it's just really love to just just to have a nice chat i think and not have to yeah not not i'm not thinking about work for like, for like <laughs> half, half an hour so it's been really really lovely thank you